Hey everyone, welcome to Navigating Your 20s. My name is Scott Rockman and I will be the host for this podcast. Today I am so excited to release our first episode with a true inspiration of mine, Molly Countermine. For those of you who don't know Molly, she is a professor of human development and family studies at Penn State University. She has a TED Talk with over 100,000 views that I would highly suggest checking out. And during this episode, she shares so many interesting insights about romantic relationships, drawing from her knowledge of the research, her time at Penn State, and her 20-year happy marriage with her husband, Renee. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I learned so much from my conversation with Molly, and I'm excited to share it with you all. Thanks for listening. All right, everyone, welcome to Navigating Your 20s. I am joined by Molly Countermine. Hi. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about romantic relationships in this episode, specifically about finding a compatible partner. So I know when I've thought about past relationships and when I think about my 20s mm-hmm. and building hopefully a lifelong partnership with someone, mm-hmm. It's very intimidating to think about the concept of compatibility and if you are compatible with someone. Yeah. So I'm wondering, both from your experience and research, what you think of when you think about the topic of compatibility. I think there are a lot of misconceptions around this idea of two people being compatible. One of them starts with this idea of finding your soulmate. I think that is such a Hollywood, you complete me. You know, I believe that it happens for some people, absolutely in terms of being love at first sight oh my god I knew it the minute I saw you I was gonna marry you I believe that happens for some people but I also believe that even for those people who might stumble into that it's not just a a bed of roses from there on out so compatibility doesn't mean you share the same interests it might it doesn't mean you believe all the same things it might. It doesn't really mean anything other than a shared meaning for what your relationship means to you both that you agree on and that no one is compromising more than the other one to make work. And I'm wondering too, for a lot of people, there's talk about non-negotiables, whether it's your Mm non-negotiables or do you have any suggestions on what people should have as non-negotiables? Well, I, I would definitely be able to talk about what people should talk about that could become non-negotiables. Yeah, sure. Whether or not you want children, what value you place on money, whether or not you actually believe in marriage. If you both agree on children, what about parenting styles? How would you raise those children? Yeah. I also think faith is a big one there, oh, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So even if you were a different religion or practice and your partner having conversations about can you both freely practice yep. your own religious beliefs? Yep. And what about children, right? Yep. Is there an expectation that one absolutely. faith is going to take precedence yep. over the other one? Yep. I'm also thinking about things like nutrition diet exercise and i don't mean diet in terms of losing weight i mean like you know is a is a deal breaker for a vegan that i've got to be yeah i mean lifestyle choices are huge absolutely it could also be you know when you mentioned exercise it could be activity maybe one partner loves hiking and they expect companionship during those those. activities Mm -hmm. another big one too that i've read is Mm in-laws family dynamics are very complex and when you think about the expectations of holidays and what that looks like if someone doesn't come to thanksgiving and how is that perceived absolutely these are all really important things for couples to talk about as they approach the conversations of long term i don't think that on the second date you need to be talking about (laughs) in-laws but but certainly that would all 
also depend on where you are in your 20s. You know, yeah. what if you're 20? Well, then no. But what if you're 28? Well, then maybe. So here's what I'm curious about then. People might not feel comfortable having those conversations mm-hmm. up front. Arguably, they shouldn't, right? Like you should be present seeing if you have any sort of connection with right. the person Absolutely. when it comes to interests or if you have a good rapport with them. Mm-hmm. So at what stage when you have gone through that and you're thinking about, is this someone that I want to date? Maybe not spend the rest of my mm-hmm. life with, but someone that I want to engage in a romantic mm-hmm. relationship with. Is that the time to have those conversations? Yeah, I think actually any time is the time. Mm -hmm. to have those conversations maybe not on the first date but you know what now that I think about it I've been the kind of person my whole life that if I feel a connection to someone then 10 minutes into a conversation we're probably talking about the meaning of life do you know what I mean I'm the same exact way I love having deep philosophical conversations so I think that if you're that kind of person and crave that kind of thing in your relationships then you might naturally broach some of these subjects early on and if the person that you're dating or on a date with at that time kind of cringes or pulls away from that maybe that's a pretty good signal exactly you know that that's not going to be a great idea (laughs) for you to continue on At the same time, people can be led to those sorts of conversations. I can't imagine navigating your 20s because you have Tinder and you have... Yeah, so let's talk about dating apps, right? Because I am so intrigued by the concept of attraction when you're looking at someone on a dating app. For some, there are prompts and you can talk a little bit about yourself and your Mm -hmm. interests, but a lot of the time dating apps are based on initial attraction. Do you think that is a potential recipe for success? How does that play into your chance to connect with someone in that way? You know, here's the thing. Attraction is a thing. We cannot fabricate it. We cannot create it. And we cannot deny it. It is going to be something that is either there or it's not. For some people who may be demiromantic, demisexual, asexual, aromantic, you know, they're going to navigate relationships in a totally different way than somebody who's not. So there's no one size fits all in terms of how you might utilize those apps. For some people in their 20s, maybe they're not ready to have these serious conversations. Maybe they just want to have fun. Sure. And they want to date around. So what are your thoughts on those types of things? Because some people aren't dating for marriage. They're dating to have fun. They find someone that they enjoy their company. As long as my partner knows that we're not looking for long-term commitment, then that's great. For people who may find that there's a mismatch Mm -hmm. in their intentions, one person, let's just say, wants a romantic relationship and And the the other other person person wants either a friends with benefits situation, whatever you want to call it. Is it time to end that? It is. It is. Or somebody's going to get hurt and somebody's going to be resented. And yeah, the person who's doing the compromising will be the one whose well-being suffers. The research is very clear on that. And here's the thing, and this is really what it boils down to, is that the person that cares less holds the most power. Interesting. In any relationship, the person who cares less holds the most power. And that can be said for romantic and beyond romantic relationships. That's true for friendships, work relationships. That makes sense, but I could see someone listening to you say that and they think, okay, well, I'm going to lean into this defense mechanism and I'm going to care less because that means that I can't get hurt. Yeah. I mean, when you put your heart on your sleeve yeah. and you lead with love and yeah. you fall deeply yeah. for someone, you're you're risking the that's fact vulnerable. that your heart's going to get broken. Absolutely. And that's why if we have open, honest conversations, then all you can be is honest and all you can be is vulnerable and you put yourself out there. What 
what a beautiful thing. And maybe you get hurt and maybe the person meets you halfway. I'm wondering too, when we think about romantic relationships and some people in their 20s are going to want to take things to the next level in terms of moving in. Yep. From your experience or what the research has shown, what should we know about cohabitation? Well, it's pretty simple. Again, the research is very clear that if you're cohabitating for money or to quote unquote test the waters of the relationship, it doesn't increase your chances of that relationship going the distance. Even if you were to end up married, those relationships tend to divorce quicker. What's the right mindset? How should you be viewing this cohabitation if you want it to strengthen your relationship? So cohabitation should be a, we know we're getting married or we know we are in in this for the long term. Maybe one of us doesn't believe in marriage. Maybe neither of us believe in marriage, but we both know that you're my forever, that you're the one that I see myself with forever. Otherwise, keep your own space. You can test the waters of the relationship without cohabitating. So you're saying when you move in with someone, you should be, for the most part, according to the research, utilizing it as a significant step to strengthen your relationship in thinking long term? Yes, but even more so, And again, the research will continue to evolve as we continue to evolve in the ways that we view marriage and romantic relationships. But right now, the research is if you're moving in quickly because it's easier, it's cheaper, maybe let's see if we're compatible. It doesn't really bode well for the long-term success of that relationship. It just doesn't. What if you have the right intentions when you're moving in with someone, but you quickly realize that your living styles are not compatible? That might be time, if you can, to get your own place and maybe continue dating or have the deep conversations of saying, look, this just doesn't work for me. This thing that you do or this thing that I do that you don't join in on or this thing that... (laughs) So just to be clear, according to the research, it might be better to move in with someone being excited about the long-term prospect, thinking about strengthening your relationship, Mm -hmm. and being open-minded if you do notice something that is not compatible about your living habits. But you're saying when you view it as a test, you're actually setting yourself up for more failure. Yes. Do you think that's because of confirmation bias? Maybe you're looking for something to go wrong? I think what typically happens is that one person in the relationship is probably ahead of the other in terms of I'm ready to get married but you're not or I want to move in with you but you're not so sure about it gotcha does that make sense and again goes back to who's holding the most power than the person that's moving in that's kind of ahead in terms of where they see the relationship going is going to be the one that has the least power and is going to do more compromising and then in a year maybe saying oh my gosh wait how did I get here and that goes along with this idea of sliding versus deciding into decisions, right? So we slide into engagement. We slide into marriage. That just seemed like the logical next step rather than like, are we really sitting down and deciding together? Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about children. Let's talk about pets and 
spirituality and politics and how compatible we are about these issues and not just I've been leaving my toothbrush at your place and I have a drawer in your dresser and so maybe it means we should be moving in you're right I think it's all about the intentionality Mm -hmm. convenience versus having this forethought about Mm -hmm. the future you've talked a lot about having conversations with your partner Mm -hmm. about the future about your values about family finances in-laws whatever it would be can you share any personal anecdotes from having conversations with your now husband or a past relationship and how that was for you? So one of the reasons that the person prior to Renee and I didn't work out is that we had been dating for a while and sort of having fun and, you know, we were compatible in some ways and neither one of us really necessarily seemed to be, oh, we're going to get married or whatever. But one day we had a conversation about children And I've always known that I wanted children. And he wasn't sure. And I said, just so you know, this is 100% a deal breaker for me. That doesn't mean we have to break up right now, but this would be a deal breaker for me. And that was absolutely the beginning of the end for us. Wow. I mean, that's a huge source of incompatibility if that's a non-negotiable. And I was 27. So it wasn't like my, I mean, everybody's clock is always ticking, but it wasn't like I wanted to have kids the next day. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is you've been very open about seeking couples counseling prior Mm -hmm. to your marriage with Renee. Yep. And I'm wondering if you can share the reason that you chose to do that and if you would recommend it to other couples as a proactive step before you marry someone. So I worked with Dr. Keith Cernick for a year when he was at Penn State in the psych department on a study called the Collaborative Family Study. And I just love Keith. And we were talking one day, grad student on the study had gotten engaged and we were excited, but we were talking and and Keith said something like, couples should be issued a counselor the day they get engaged. Interesting. And this is a man who's been studying families for his entire career and was the head of the psych department at that point. And And I was like, tell me more. He said, as well as any two people ever know each other, you always have a private life in your own mind. And that's fine. And no one needs to know every single thought that every single person has, not even your partner of 50 years. But the closer you are to a person, the less that private person is from the person that you're sharing with. Yeah. And sometimes you might need a professional who understands how to help facilitate these conversations in a productive way. And I think a lot of the misconceptions that surround couples counseling is that you go when you need help because your relationship is quote unquote failing, right? It's a last resort to keep you two together. But what you've talked about very openly is there wasn't something going Mm -hmm. drastically wrong. You wanted to strengthen your relationship going into your marriage. And I wanted to ask, was it helpful? Oh my gosh, yes. Because not only did it give us a vocabulary and sort of a starting point of when things were to go wrong, but we already had a counselor. We could just go in for tune-ups when we needed to. and, And it felt like you know, normal, it was normalized for both of us. And that was 
perfect. And we've gone now and then off and on, sometimes more on than off, sometimes more off than on over the last 20 years. Again, some people might think that they should use couples counseling in a reactive direction rather right. than proactive. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that and you shared both. that. And it's both. There have been times when for Renee and I, it has been when we've been close to crisis or in a crisis or whether it was something internal in the romantic relationship or something external that was affecting the relationship. Does that make yeah, sense? It, it's does. both. But yeah, it really is like I've said about your individual therapeutic journey. It should just be part of our well-being as right. individuals and as couples. And so my last question for mm -hmm. you for this episode, I always want to ask guests mm -hmm. to share advice, whether it's your experience in your 20s or anything that you would want to tell 20-somethings right now. And I would love if you could gear that advice specifically towards finding a compatible lifelong partner. Yeah. So I always think you want to find somebody that makes you laugh. You want to find somebody that challenges you. You want to find somebody that you like not just somebody that you love. You want to find somebody that you respect and then turn all that around. You want to find somebody who laughs at your jokes. You want to find somebody that respects you. You want to find somebody that challenges you, that you challenge. I mean, it's a two-way street. Yeah, you know, that Ram Das quote, we're all just walking each other home. Find somebody that you want to walk home, whose company you enjoy so much that you'd rather walk with them than not. All right, everyone, that is officially a wrap for episode one of this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope that you will come back next week for another episode of Navigating Your 20s.